This is Lancaster, global research tales from the north of England. This is the most skilled, most motivated workforce in the whole of industry, yet we still manage them largely through extended hierarchies and command and control. There are these overbearing national bodies which dictate targets and key performance indicators. We've got to move away from all of that to a much more collective approach. Hello, my name is Michael West. I'm Professor of Organisational Psychology at Lancaster University and a Senior Visiting Fellow at the King's Fund in London. I'm a psychologist by training. I've been researching teams, organisations, particularly in the NHS since the 1980s, and my focus is on how do we create the conditions within the NHS for teams and organisations to function most effectively in order that they can deliver high-quality, continually improving and compassionate care for the people of the communities that they serve. The staff survey was introduced and developed. I had the privilege of being involved in all of that back in 2003. It's run every year for the last 18 years. 650,000 NHS staff respond to it every year. It's, it's just an incredible data set and really rich. And what it's enabled us to do is the most sophisticated statistical longitudinal analysis of all of this data. And we can link what staff stay, say about their experience to the outcomes we're concerned about, staff turnover, care quality, financial performance, patient satisfaction. And what we see is that what staff say about their experience at work is the most powerful, significant predictor of NHS trust performance. So when staff report, for example, that their leadership is compassionate, when their leaders are generally supportive and compassionate, in those organizations, subsequently, what we see is significantly better care quality, higher levels of patient satisfaction, better financial performance, and in acute hospitals, significantly lower avoidable patient mortality. Whereas in NHS trusts where staff generally don't report that their leaders are compassionate and supportive, in those, in those organizations, what we see is staff reporting subsequently significantly higher levels of chronic work overload, higher levels of staff stress, that's associated with patients saying they're not treated with dignity, respect, compassion. It's also associated with worse care quality, worse financial performance, and, and higher numbers of avoidable patient deaths. So the staff survey has proved to be a hugely important source of intelligence about our health service nationally. In, in many ways, you know, people, leaders get caught up in business as usual, and the annual staff survey results come along, and there may be a little bit of um, short-term hand-wringing. But for many years, I don't think that it was really seen as a driver of change. But now... Um, because in a way we've got burning bridges, we can't keep staff, we can't recruit staff, staff stress levels are so high, there's a recognition that these data are really important. So the newly formed people directorate for the NHS has made a series of promises about how people will be looked after. Um, and as a consequence, the staff survey has been tweaked a little bit to reflect those people promises. There's a new measure of compassionate leadership now in the staff survey. There's a measure of work overload. There are better measures of team working. And it's being the staff surveys is being used as a key driver of change across the whole of the NHS. So, you know, sometimes I think that research evidence has to be repeatedly 
communicated and shared. You kind of drip, 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 drip it out. And gradually it sort of seeps into consciousness and policymakers' consciousness. And I think that's where we are now because compassionate leadership and support for staff is now an absolute priority for leaders across the NHS. We, we currently are facing the biggest crisis we've ever faced in the NHS. In fact, in the welfare state generally, with levels of staff stress being at an all-time high, you know, like one third of staff report being burned out at work often or all the time. This is using standardized international research measures of burnout. And we know that means that their health will be suffering, cardiovascular disease, addictions, alcoholism, cancers, diabetes, depression. We also know that that has a, a significant impact on care quality with more mistakes, less com less compassion. So it is um, it, 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 this crisis that we face in the NHS of a huge, huge numbers of vacancies, over 100,000 and over 100,000 in social care as well. It's the biggest workforce crisis we've ever faced. And so, you know, the issue is not just about how do we recruit more people? The fact is that one in four nurses leave the NHS within three years of joining. So it's no good pouring more water into the bucket if it's got a big hole in it. So the question is, about how do we ensure that we retain the staff we, we have? How do we create the conditions where they will thrive and their health and well-being will be good in order that they can provide high quality care for the people they serve. And a lot of the work that I and colleagues have been involved in has been about identifying the sorts of changes we need to make, which will help to retain the staff that we have. First is the real, the real importance of having compassionate leaders. And I mean, that sounds like a bit of a kind of, I don't know, snappy phrase, but all it means in practice is leaders who attend to those they lead, listen to them, leaders who seek to understand the challenges they face, who empathize with them, given the hugely difficult workplace challenges they face, and leaders who then help them by ensuring that they're removing the obstacles that get in the way of their work and ensuring they've got the resources they need, the right numbers of staff with the right skills, the right training, and so on. But it's also about looking after the health and well-being of staff. And, you know, the kind of levels of stress we're seeing are beyond mindfulness apps and yoga. This is about meeting the core needs of staff at work, making sure that they have voice and influence, that they're working in cultures, not of fear and blame, which many of them feel they are, but of, in cultures of justice and fairness and openness, and where their basic working conditions enable them to work effectively. They've got time to take rest breaks. They can get hydration um, when they need it. They can get access to nutritious food on night shifts. And it's also about uh, building more effective teamworking, we know, in organizations. Because when people work in effective, supportive teams, stress levels are 50% lower, care quality is dramatically better. And the big, the big issue that I feel leaders must start addressing is the issue of chronic work overload. NHS staff report continually that they have chronic excessive work demands and they don't have the capacity to meet them. People say we're exhausted and we're just tired of being exhausted. So we have to start to address this issue of work overload. And uh, that's, of course, about staffing and we need a national workforce strategy. But it's also about asking 
what are we not going to do? You know, what are we, we're asking so much of stuff. So there's so much bureaucracy. There's so much hierarchy. What are we not going to do? How can we simplify? How can we make this work better? And, you know, there's lots of work focusing on innovation in the NHS, but also we need to look at how all the agencies responsible for the happiness and the well-being of people in our communities can work together more effectively in the future. Social care, local authorities, education, justice, voluntary association, community groups, families themselves. We, we have to transform the way we deliver health and social care to reduce this incredible workload on healthcare staff. For example, East London Foundation Trust regularly asks it, it's a very, it's an outstanding NHS trust, it regularly asks its staff, what would you reduce or get rid of in your work? And th this is not a kind of one-off gimmick. They they repeatedly ask this question and they've eliminated 85% of some of the bureaucracy, unnecessary seeking managerial permission, um, unnecessary travel for meetings to trust headquarters. Um, some organizations have introduced um, council, nurse councils where nurses have the time and space to meet every month 95 councils, for example, in Nottingham University hospitals. Mersey Care has introduced what they call a restorative culture rather than the fear and blame culture. They've eliminated 85% of disciplinary processes and 95% of suspensions. Um, lots of organisations are introducing compassionate leadership. There's great work going on up in Cumbria, the um, Health Education England's Foundation School for Doctors and Physician Associates has a com compassionate leadership course. The NHS nationally is committed in England, is committed to compassionate leadership in Wales. Health Education and Improvement Wales has a 10-year strategy for developing compassionate leadership across the whole of health and social care. So there are many places that are beginning to make some of these changes. And I guess what I think is hopeful is is that when you find these good examples, they're good examples which can be, you know, stolen with pride, adapted and used by organizations across the country. So a big part of the challenge is getting those good examples out into the consciousness of leaders across the system. And that's a lot of the work that I'm involved in. There are some places that are just outstanding. Northumbria NHS Trust is incredible. Berkshire Health is retraining all of its staff in compassionate leadership. They're on their 95th cohort of staff. And it's no coincidence that they, in the recent staff survey results, were the best mental health learning disability trust in terms of lowest levels of staff stress, best, you know, highest morale and staff engagement. So there are really bright spots here and there, but there are also a lot of dark spots. And uh, I think the situation is urgent. The NHS is in, at the minute, it's not simply creaking. Bits are falling apart, as we see in ambulance services, in A&E, in mental health services, and particularly in maternity services. So no progress is not, not fast enough. We need to move towards a much less hierarchical system. This is the most skilled, most motivated workforce in the whole of industry, yet we still manage them largely through extended hierarchies and command and control. There are these you know, overbearing national bodies which dictate targets and key performance indicators. We've got to move away from all of that to a much more collective approach. And as I said, to a situation where we're working more collaboratively across boundaries with all of the institutions that can focus on creating healthier, happier um, populations. So there is good progress, but 
there's also not fast enough progress in many areas. And I would say, particularly in relation to addressing the issues of chronic workload, we still don't have a national workforce strategy. The government hasn't yet produced one. And we're still not uh, doing enough to develop compassionate leadership through the whole hierarchy, not just at local level. You know, I think one of the most rewarding and uh, just lovely things for me as a researcher has been the extent to which the research evidence that I and working with many colleagues we've produced has influenced the national policy agenda. So as I said, all of those initiatives at national level in Wales, in Northern Ireland also, in Scotland and England, where they are implementing uh, policy based on the research evidence we have produced. Um, the big caveat to that is that's been a consequence um, of a lot of work to make sure that that evidence is communicated. So I spend, I would say, the majority of my time giving talks to national bodies in the NHS, to individual trusts, to social care organisations, to other organisations in the public sector. So as researchers, what's important is it, it's you know, is to accumulate convincing research, research evidence that addresses the key questions that organizations want to have answered. How can we deliver high quality, continually improving compassionate care? How can we retain and develop our staff? And when we know the answers to those questions, then I think it's really important as researchers that we get out there and continually drip, drip, drip the messages of our findings. And that's what I've seen has brought about the most enormous change. And from my perspective, has been incredibly professionally fulfilling to see our research influencing policy and practice across the country. Thanks for listening to This is Lancaster, global research tales from the north of England. To listen to more, just search podcasts at Lancaster University.